0: Have you ever felt that you can't forgive yourself, or that you've done things so that God can never use you for anything significant? If so, I have great news for you. Hi, I'm Yvonne Prent, and welcome to Bible 805. In our lesson today, we're going to learn about God's great forgiveness and love that's titled, David, Great Sins and Great Mercy, But Always a Heart in the Right Place, Part 2. Now where we left off on the last lesson is we talked about how David was a man after God's own heart and how he lived much of his life in constant awareness if not always constant obedience to God. We talked about his sin with Bathsheba and how God forgave him but there were consequences. His son died and eventually other sons including Absalom revolted and caused a lot of pain and trouble and just terrible things happened in his kingdom. But a less discussed sin with big consequences was also in his life. David was not a good parent. Now remember when we read Bible narratives, the sections don't always stop and say, now you should do this, you shouldn't do this, this is what will happen next because we're supposed to know. Now remember in the Old Testament in the Pentateuch, in the law, in the first five books that David was obviously very familiar with because of his writings and his songs and his psalms and a lot of the things that he did. It talks about how children should be raised. It talks about how they should be taught about the Lord, how they should be punished when they've sinned, how parents are responsible to do a lot of these things. But it seems that David failed greatly as a parent. Some really horrible things happen. One son rapes his half-sister. Another son kills him because David doesn't do anything about it. That son runs away. And what does David do? and apparently from what we can see nothing but he just kind of retreats and pouts and you're thinking this is David but that sin had huge consequences the son that killed for his sister's honor so to speak was Absalom he returns finally to the lamb, but David won't see him he sort of after he runs away and then David says it's okay for him to come back then he comes back and then he won't see him which was really really a dumb thing to do. Um, Finally, he does, but Absalom harbored great resentment, and actually it seems like real hate to his father for doing that. A conspiracy builds, and finally there's open rebellion. Now God delivers David, Absalom is killed. David mourns him until Joab, who is his general, encourages him to basically, as we would say today, man up and be grateful that your troops won the battle. And so David does do what he needs to do. Other conspiracies follow but David's victorious and he continues to fight battles. Now his next sin, this one is one with really huge consequences because it doesn't just affect him and his family, it infects all of Israel. This is where the sin of his numbering the people. This is in First Chronicles 21 and Samuel 24. Now, this is a very confusing situation, and Bible commentators are not at all agreed on a, even exactly what the sin was. But somehow David was incited to number the people. Now, remember, temptation is not a sin. Uh, just being encouraged to do something or tempted to do something is not a sin. But David gave in, And he did it temptation is oftentimes a test that God allows for us to learn something about ourselves. The Bible teaches this again and again. He talks about how he tests people to see if they will be strong in it. Not because God needs to know but we need to know. But David, bottom line, was not. He caved in. Now we don't know even exactly why. And two, again the passages are somewhat confusing on this. In some parts of it it says that God was angry with David and others with Israel and the two can kind of be spoken of as the same thing is because the leader was representative of the people the people of the leader but anyway it could have been their pride they had been winning a lot of battles perhaps David was overly proud and he just wanted to do this what one commentator said though that I thought was really made sense is he said the reason that God judged it so harshly is not only because he took a census when God did not tell him to all of the other times a census is required where they count the people in the Bible God gives a specific command so that in and of itself was a sin but also he didn't do it the right way because an earlier census that was taken it was also combined with an offering that people were to give to the temple and that doesn't even seem to be part of it. Regardless of some of the details, this was a very serious sin in God's sight. And so the prophet is sent to him to say, okay, how do you want to be judged for this? God is going to judge you. Do you want three years of fleeing before your enemy or three months of famine or three days of plague? And David says, let me fall into the hands of the Lord. And he realizes he has sinned and he's sinned greatly. And he repents at that time. But still, Punishment follows, and 70,000 people die in a plague that takes place. Now, an angel then, David again repents, like I said, and God says then he relented, and the angel of death is stopped at the threshing floor of Aruna. Now David decides he's going to buy this plot of land and the owner of it says no no I'm giving it to you it's yours I don't want anything to do with it you know just get it out of here but David says no I will surely buy it from you for a price nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God which of that which cost me nothing. David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. And there David built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. Now some application thoughts on this. Some passages like this on God's judgment are really hard to understand on the one um, earlier of killing of Uzzah when he reached out and stabilized the ark Um, and then there's another really horrible story about this Gibeonite revenge where the people come to David and say that um, you know some of Saul's family has committed these horrible things against them. They actually killed a whole bunch of people that that the Israelites had promised to protect and then they'd taken over their lands and they say they want justice and David allows them to execute Saul's grandsons some of these stories we think what is going on here this just seems so horrible this doesn't seem right and these are difficult passages to understand but there's some things we need to keep in mind and some of you aren't going to like what I'm going to talk about so that's okay but um, I, I think this is important we don't know the whole story on any of these passages. Now, sometimes commentators can help on that example of Uzzah. um, Many commentators say that was really pride on his part. He'd taken care of the ark for months, for years. It was his family's home. He thought, this is my job to do it. No, it wasn't. It was the job of the Levites. And he shouldn't have been participating in that at all. He shouldn't have even have been there. He shouldn't have have done anything that was even remotely connected to to what he was doing. On the revenge on Saul's descendants, he'd slaughtered. Saul had slaughtered people. Israel was sworn to protect. And some commentators said perhaps those who were killed had taken their lands illegally and benefited from them. We don't know all the details. But we do know from these things that God's Will His ways of doing things must be done in the way He prescribes. God's commands are very serious. When He says something is wrong, it's wrong. When He says we're supposed to do certain things a certain way, He means it. And today that has not become politically popular. so many people, it's, well, I question God about this, or I don't, you know, I quit believing in God because of that, or this doesn't seem right. Who are you, O oh man, O oh woman, oh any of us, to judge our Creator? God's commands are very serious, and there's a lot of people today that there's, there's even a whole trend of just, you know, we want to always be respectful and kind to people who don't believe as we do, but there are groups that call themselves, for example, progressive Christians, quote-unquote, that say it's perfectly fine for there to be all these different paths to God, and Jesus is only one of them, but he's not the only way. That is wrong. Jesus is the only way to God. As a friend of mine said, and actually this this comes from a song that was popular when I was in college, Jesus is the only way. Now there may be lots of ways to Jesus, but he is the only way. And we can't ever be quote-unquote flexible on that. God does not change, and the exclusivity of his demands and that Jesus is the only way to salvation, they remain the same. Now, here's where it gets tricky. We don't say that with pride. We don't say that because we're arrogant or we know it all and other people are wrong. We say it in a spirit of deep deep humility. I read a book once, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the title of this. I'll have to look it up. But it was the story of a gentleman, and and it was one of the lesser-known movies who played Jesus. And he said that he was really struggling over this one particular scene where he was supposed to really challenge some people. And he said he was saying, and he was a believer, and he was praying. He was saying, Lord, how do I say this? Do I come across really strong? And, oh, you sinful, terrible people, and all that. And he said he realized that jesus probably said it from a place of deep deep sadness for we see this in jesus when he's he's weeping over jerusalem and he says oh jerusalem jerusalem if only you would have known who i you know your salvation has come to you and you didn't and so oftentimes when when we see sin or something that's wrong we have to approach it with that same humility but we can't call evil good and good evil. In Isaiah, it says, Woe to them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and, di- and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to them who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. In other words, woe to those people who think their way is the best way that they know what to do. And I was thinking it's like that in many areas, and it's kind of like back at the Tower of Babel. The people wanted to join together, they wanted unity, but... They weren't doing it God's way. That isn't how what he wanted for them, and, and he had to scatter them. And again, it's really hard to talk about this, because with social media and a lot of things today, there are very winsome people and wonderful writers and interesting speakers that can say things that are totally biblically wrong. And just because they're very popular, they, they might be seem like a very wonderful person, that doesn't mean that what they're saying is correct. And so we we need to always remember, once again I've talked about this in other lessons, that we play to an audience of one. That God is the only one who we are going to stand before in eternity. We have to remember that He made us We didn't make ourselves. And so we always want to keep him and his words in mind. Now again, when we speak, we'd better be correct on what we say. We'd better be in line with what the Bible says and what it says in a proper exegesis. And that's why we're doing these lessons. I do a tremendous amount of study. And check me out. Read commentators. Look up things for yourself. Know the Word of God so that you know when something is correct and something isn't. One of the little, sort of, uh, maybe mundane examples of this that I was thinking about is you can't really say you love someone if you don't know what upsets them. If, I mean, I know there are certain things that my husband doesn't like to eat. Now, very few, because my husband really likes to eat. He's this big, big guy. Those of you that don't know him, he is uh, six foot three, very muscular, very strong, weighs, well, well Well, we won't talk about what he weighs because that's always changing, but he's a big man. And so he likes to eat a lot of things, but there are certain things he doesn't like, and one of them is peas. He doesn't like peas. Why he doesn't like peas, I don't know. Actually, he's told me his mother served canned peas when he was growing up. He didn't like peas. So I love him. I know that. And I don't serve him peas. And now that's a very mundane example, but if we truly love the Lord in his word he's told us very clearly what is important to him and what isn't and so we want to keep this in mind now when we share the truth once again we do it in love we do it with humility we always speak with grace but we always speak truth and we re- we are to restore people gently if we react just with anger people will respond to our anger This is an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. Jesus did it somehow. He was able to convince people of their sins and they'd turn right around and invite him to a party. How did he do that? I don't know. Um, I, I really am praying for insight into it. But now back to David. So we can't just focus on, you know, why does God do this and why does he do that? God's ways of judging are just and they're there to remind us to trust him. Now what's really exciting on this is now we're going to get into some of the different things that David turned turned around from the sins in his life, he took that threshing floor that was the site of judgment, he bought it, and he made that the location for the temple. But he didn't stop there. In 1 Chronicles 5.22, David says, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, a fame and glory throughout all the countries. I will therefore make preparations for it. You see, David lived for anywhere from, depending upon the chronology, 10 to 30 years after he committed some of his worst sins. But what was he doing? He wasn't just sitting around. Yes, he still fought some battles. He was still a general, but he prepared for the temple. Take some time, and if you're doing the reading plan, you'll, you'll be reading this. But really look at First Chronicles 22-27. through 27. This tells us what David did, and it was really exciting. He provided resources, gold and silver and iron and wood and stone, and it says some of it, there was so much he couldn't even measure it. He provided training people for the work, people to be laborers, people to be skilled craftsmen. He organized all of them. He organ- Now, not only did he organize the workers for the building, but where it really gets interesting is he organized the Levites and all of the priests and did very exacting job descriptions for exactly how they were to worship God, the rotation of their services, what they were supposed to do, the instruments that they had, the songs they were to sing, the the whole passages that talk about his both prophecy, well, um, let me just read you this one verse. In First Chronicles 25.1, in the message, it puts it this, this way. Nix, David, and the worship leaders selected some from the family of Asap, Heman, and Jeduthun for special service in preaching and music. You see, he put all of that together. Now, I would assume that when he was organizing that music, he wrote and he finalized many of the Psalms, probably prior to that time, and him having a chance to sit down and write them out. They probably existed primarily in his memory and in the memory of the people who he had taught to sing them also. But it wasn't until this time, when David organizes them, that they become part of the temple worship. Now he couldn't do the building but he gave Solomon the plans to build and it's really interesting to me because just like God gave Moses the plans that the children of Israel carried out, David Gives the plans to Solomon. God spoke to David, and then he passed him on. It says in 1 Chronicles 28:19, I mean 11 through 19. Then David presented his son Solomon with the plans for the temple complex, porch, storerooms, meeting rooms, and the place for atoning sacrifice. He turned over the plans for everything that God's spirit had brought to his mind. The design, the design of the courtyards, the arrangement of rooms, the closets for storing all the holy things. He gave him his plan for organizing the Levites and priests in their work of leading and ordering worship in the house of God and caring for the liturgical furnishings. He provided exact specifications for how much gold and silver was needed for each of the articles used in the service of worship. The gold and silver lampstands and lamps, the gold tables for consecrated bread, the silver tables, the gold forks, the bowls, the jars, and the incense altar. And he gave him the plan for sculpting the cherubs with their wings outstretched over the chest of the covenant of God, the cherubim throne. Here are the blueprints for the whole project as God God gave me to understand it, David said. This verse, or this passage, rather, I don't know why it's not quoted more. I hate it when the life of David ends with his sin with Bathsheba. I mean, really, people, he organized and put together all the plans for the most magnificent earthly temple that has ever been known. He did that after he had sinned and what can God do for you? We'll get to that more in a minute, but he also encouraged Solomon. He said in uh, First Chronicles 28, 20 and 21, it says, David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous. Do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you, forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. The divisions of the priests and Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God and every willing person skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. The officials and all the people will obey your every command. Now not only did David do this extraordinary work in the temple Not only did he leave material wealth in the plan for the temple, but remember, when he started out, when he was anointed king, there was only one giant killer in the land, and that was David. It was him and him alone. They had a hard time finding him. But, when he passes on we see in Second Samuel 23 and 1 Chronicles 11 a listing of David's mighty men. And there were dozens and dozens and dozens now of giant killers. Men who killed giants, fought great battles, stood their ground, helped David win his victories. I don't have time to go into all of it now but this their stories are extraordinary. And David somehow inspired and raised up these people that could continue in you, having great victories after him. It says, too, that men came from every tribe and many of the surrounding nations and joined his mighty men. There were Moabites, Ammonites. These were oftentimes the sworn enemies of Israel, but somehow they joined his army. And then, too, we kind of just read this in passing, but it's important, Uriah the Hittite. That was Bathsheba's husband. We just know him as Bathsheba's husband, but we forget the Hittite. This was a powerful empire. It was an enemy of Israel. They were displaced after the exodus. And what this this shows us, all of the people, and they come from so many different places, that David welcomed into his army people from every nation who wanted to fight for God. And I think this is really a picture of the church, that people that says from every tribe, tongue, and nation will come together someday to serve God. And David really pictured that. The final application on this is David did not let sin define his life. Remember in John 1 2 12, it talks about how God gets rid of our sins for His name's sake. Jesus died on the cross so that we would have access to God. God wants to have fellowship with us again. We're not beating on his door. We're not begging him. He wants to love us again, and he provided a way to do that by forgiveness in Jesus. He did that for David, and he did that for us. Let me just read you another passage where David says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my pleas for mercy. I love this next verse. If you, O Lord, Should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Fantastic passage. But, some of you might say, but I can't forgive myself. You know, what I've done is too horrible, it's too awful. Um, you know, now, just, just stop that right now. Because if God forgives you, again, who are you to question God? If He says He forgives you, you are forgiven. First John one nine says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, there may be consequences. After David sinned, God forgave him, but he couldn't enter the promised land. But, whether God has consequences for you or not, he doesn't just totally push you aside. There's always something for you to do. While you can breathe, you can do something for the kingdom of God. David went back to his love of music when he was a youth. The Psalms, and again, most likely they were probably just merely oral before, but he committed them to writing. He wrote them down in a much more mature and complete way so he could leave a legacy to others. What's God called you to do? Now, I've, I've shared how my calling, I know, is to tutor, to teach, to pray people in the things of the Word. That's why I started this podcast. Um, many of you who are listening, you can use podcasts, you can use videos, you can use blogs. You can leave a line behind blessings for people. For many of you, I have no idea how God wants to use you because each of our callings are unique. But I know he has that for you. And you never know what God can do with what you do after you've whatever sinned, big or little or whatever. I'm sure David has an eternity of surprises in heaven. He's just meeting person after person whose lives were blessed by what he wrote down in the later part of his life. And you never know how someone might be blessed by what you do just one little thing on how this relates to my ministry and working in church communications and I've shared with this this with some of you before but I have a policy where I freely give away everything that I do um, you know on the website and uh, you know articles and different things and videos and different things like this to help church communicators and every now and then I'll do a video search for something um, not a video search excuse me a Google search search for something just because I have a terrible memory and I can't find where I put things and my website for church communicators is so large I can't find anything on it now. So I actually have to do a Google search for it. But in doing that, I'm often just amazed at how often my stuff will come up in the oddest places. And I know it's mine because and sometimes I'll leave it in my name, but on foreign language sites or on, you know, just all kinds of really weird places I've seen my materials. And, you know, I just think that's really fun that um, you know I just do them up as an offering to the Lord and just if he can use them in any way we don't know and the internet can give us so many fantastic ways today to serve God so no matter what you're and I'm not saying you have to do things through the internet not at all just again being kind to people if you're kind to people in restaurants and stores and Just some of those kind of things that will make their day because a lot of people are really mean. Um, Just be kind, you know, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God, no matter what it is. Get up off your face, you know, don't be whining, don't be looking back. Thank God for His forgiveness and fulfill the calling that you have from Him with a clean, free, and forgiven heart. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson. Again, they're on the website, www.bible805.com. Sign up for the newsletter, and please tell your friends about the podcast. And podcast or not, encourage them to get into God's Word. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Pran, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God, move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved, from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.